Welcome back to Drawing the Line with your host, Nate Dragan. That's me. Democrats hold up impeachment, even though they tell us that Trump must be impeached as soon as possible. A fight breaks out in a wine cave at the last Democratic national debate. The left eats itself alive, and we do some more do's and don'ts. All that and more on today's episode of Drawing the Line. So if you haven't heard, Trump has become the latest president, one of the only few presidents that have been gifted enough to enter the sacred halls of the impeach. This goes along with Jackson and Nixon and Clinton. Very important, very important. And it is, it is very important. Uh, Impeachment was not supposed to be taken too lightly. The founders knew this. They knew the first step in the process, which is impeaching the president in the House, was a political process at best. But they also tied that wording in with high crimes and misdemeanors, meaning that there actually has to be some sort of crime associated with it. So as we have learned about our last episode, there is actually no real crime. The last episode I go over the articles that were actually presented. The articles which were being presented was obstruction of Congress, which is kind of a made-up term, and abuse of power, which political crime, not actually criminal. And the other would be soliciting soliciting help from a foreign power, I believe. So, of course, impeachment should not be taken lightly by anyone. It's an extreme power that was granted to us by the founders in order to basically undo an election. And it has its it has its uses, but should not be taken. But should, well, should be taken seriously. Should be taken very seriously, in my opinion. So, Democrats air that same kind of message that this should be solemn and this should be very serious. And we don't want to do this, which is contrary to many Democrats, Democratic Congress women and men that have openly declared that their point is to impeach this mother, mother effer. If you can fill in the, the cuss word that goes along with that. Well, they vote to impeach on completely party lines. Nobody, nobody didn't see that coming. So we're, we're not getting a serious and bipartisan impeachment, which is, which is just wonderful. Can't, can't wait to see what else, what else we, can, we can screw up. And you can see the glee in some of the Democrats. Nancy Pelosi actually tries to silence those, those, the clapter after the first article passes and make it sound like this is so serious and solemn and gosh, can't believe that this is happening and oh, it's our constitutional duty. You know, back to the Constitution, back to the founders, even though those guys are just some racist old white dudes that that held slaves. So they're not entirely sure which narrative they believe. But we can see the glee in many of of the Democratic Congress men and women, such as Rashida Tlaib, is just overjoyed. And you can see that in this clip from her Instagram. Hey, everyone. I am on my way to the United States House floor to impeach... (laughs) President Trump, on behalf of my incredible district, 13 districts strong. Let's do. Woohoo! Yeah, you did it. You did it. We're so, you know, we're so proud of you. Gosh, you made you turned something that was supposed to be used in the most serious of circumstances to undo a duly elected president, and you made it a joke. You did it. You did it, guys. And I, I for one, I for one am proud. So good work. You, 
you you did it. We're we're so happy. Thirteen districts wrong. Rashida Tlaib. Not like she basically came in and and said we are going to impeach this mother mother effer. So this, no, this doesn't seem this doesn't seem political at all. This doesn't seem like political hackery at all. So what has happened since then? What has happened since then is, according to the Wall Street Journal, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi indicated Thursday that she would delay sending the articles of impeachment to the Senate, seeking more clarity on the rules for President Trump's trial and potentially pushing the procedures well into the new year. And in fact, she did this, right? So Congress goes on a recess for the holidays and she still hasn't sent the articles, which is ridiculous, right? I mean, the Democrats complain all the time about congressional or not not congressional supremacy but legislative supremacy oh the the president god what a tyrannical ruler and dictator he is but this is a perfect example of congressional supremacy this is the house trying to dictate all the rules right the house when you start the impeachment the house can make its own rules The, the house can make its own rules and it did the house made its own rules and as much as us Republicans might not like the rules that it set forth, and we think that it might be a little unfair. It's completely constitutional, and they get to make their own rules. So we can complain as much as we want, but they get to make the rules. So now that it's moved to the Senate, which, God, this is so, this is so funny because I talk about this all the time. And the right tends to catch up to the left. The left tends to blaze this trail forward, and the right tends to react. And the left blazed this trail through the House with impeachment, not allowing not allowing any of the Republicans to really call any witnesses, making it completely partisan, which they're allowed to do. But now that the shoe is on the other foot and the Republicans have a chance to do the same thing, the Democrats are dumbfounded. They cannot believe that the Republicans are about to do the same thing that they just did in the House. They're, they're just they're just so so surprised by this. And so that's why they're holding, quote unquote, the the articles. And one of the witnesses that came forth, I believe it was a law professor that the Republicans the Republicans brought forward says that technically the Trump isn't impeached until the articles actually make it to the Senate, which which is just hilarious. I mean, God, for all for all of the times that they're saying that, oh gosh, you know, we have to get impeachment done. If we don't get it done, then Trump might get reelected, God forbid, and he's a danger to this nation. And they even say that in one of the articles. Now we have to wait. Now it's the waiting game, right? Now it's the waiting game. Now, since we weren't actually ma- able to make a substantial case to get any sort of support on the other side, we're going to try and rewrite the rules. We're going to try and do this again. We want those witnesses to be called again in the Senate, right? We want to dictate the rules, since, and we want to redo. We want to redo now because now we want to ask them different questions, all this fun stuff. So this is just a wonderful example of the balance of power system just failing. Just failing. And so the founders, the founders, they understood this. They understood that the greatest threat to the co-equal branches of power are us, right? It's humans. It's humans being petty and messing up. And I'm saying this on both sides. I'm saying this on the Democratic side, and I'm definitely saying this on the Republican side. I am not happy with the sort of executive supremacy that we have allowed to manifest itself over the years. I don't really enjoy all the executive orders 
and all this other just crap. And I think Congress needs to be a little bit stronger. But this, this is clear congressional supremacy in a way that we really haven't seen before. It's the House trying to dictate all the rules. It tried to dictate the rules when Trump said no to subpoenas, which is perfectly legal because then it goes to the judiciary and they decide. And if they decide the person needs to appear before the House, then they have to, right? They, they have to. They actually have to. If they don't, that's actually a crime. Or if they lie under that, that's also a crime. Eric Holder did that. But this, them just demanding whatever they want is so contrary to the founders in which they keep citing. They keep citing the founders. Oh, we had to do this. Our founders would have our founders would have wanted us to do this and you know to uphold the constitution. You know, we don't really think the constitution is that great, right? But we have to uphold it and you know we have to pay respect to the founders even though they're a bunch of racist old white dudes. We have to respect the founders and in order to respect their legacy, we must impeach the greatest threat to our nature our nation. An orange dude with a bad haircut. Oh my god. It's just the irony in this is just incredible. And let's remember that when Republicans, when they did their impeachment of Bill Clinton, the minute that he was impeached in the House, they sent the article straight over to the Senate, in which he was acquitted. So this is just, I mean, it's so hypocritical. So why why is Nancy Pelosi doing this? Well, she could be doing this for a couple of reasons. One, that she wants – there's got to be something to it. There has to be something to it. And there really isn't There really isn't much, which forces me to kind of stretch and really kind of go into, well, why does she think that this is a smart idea? Because clearly it's not. If she wants to make the case that this is a bipartisan effort and it's not completely partisan or p- completely political and we're not just impeaching the guy because we hate Donald Trump, then this looks bad, obviously. I mean, this obviously looks bad. If you believe he's the greatest threat to our nation, I presume you would want to get the articles to the Senate to try and have and make your case in the Senate than to hold them, right? He's, a, he's the greatest threat to our nation, correct? Right. So she's holding this out, and she wants to, she's stalling. So why do we think that she's stalling? So here's why I think she's stalling. I think she's stalling because she thinks that Trump is vindictive, and he is. Trump is petty. He is vindictive. He speaks before he thinks, and he's obviously livid that his record is going to be tainted as being another one of the few presidents that's ever been impeached. He's got a great economy. He enjoys upper 90% approval by Republicans, but his record is going to be tainted by this impeachment. People are going to look back at this and probably ignore the economy and say, oh, why was he impeached? Why was he impeached? Oh, I don't know why he was impeached. Let's find out. So he's obviously mad at that, and he wants to get this – if I was him, I'd want to get this to the Senate as quick as possible. And I've been saying this for the longest time. I want – I wanted the articles and I wanted this impeachment to get to the Senate as quick as possible. Not because the Senate is Republican, but because in the Senate you actually get a trial, right? You actually get to defend your case, make – the make the proper accusations, uh, have the defendant appear, and all this, all this other stuff that you don't get in the House because the founders envisioned that in the House it would be more of a political process. Where in the Senate you actually get a trial, you you actually get to make make your make your case. So I've been saying for the longest time, let's get this as quickly to the Senate as possible, and let's actually get down to the facts because that's that. This is when 
we actually get to see if these facts hold, not these facts, but these articles hold any water. So Trump wants to get it there as quick as humanly possible because he wants this off his record. I would want this off my record too, right? I would want this done over. I want to move on to the election cycle. I want to start going to the American people. I want this. I want this done. I want this done with the, the Pfizer reports are coming out. Barr is is coming out with more investigations on the Russia probe. There's just so much going on that impeachment shouldn't be the biggest worry. So Nancy Pelosi could be holding these articles over because she knows that Trump is petty. And maybe, maybe Trump will actually try and force Mitch McConnell to accept some of these rules to get these articles to the Senate as quickly as possible and to get Trump acquitted. There's no there's no doubt in my mind that he'll get acquitted. It, I would have I would have loved I would have loved to see the the Democrats face on when they impeached him and woke up the next morning and still your president like you did it, great. High five. You you impeached the guy like now what? Now what? So I'm I'm thinking that Pelosi is betting that Trump is just going to take the time over the Christmas holiday to kind of sit on this and mull on this. Maybe while he plays a few rounds of golf, you know, just complain and maybe eventually it'll it'll boil over in his mind and he can he reach out to Mitch McConnell and be like, hey, just just play ball, play ball, Mitch. And Mitch will be like, I don't think that's a good idea. But, you know, this is this is why this is why I think that she's actually waiting on these articles. Do I think it's a good move? No, because we as American people actually get to make the same kind of assumptions and see that the longer that she holds on to this, the more partisan and political it makes it seem. So just a just a, a fraudulent situation. And messed up in all, all the wrong ways. And accordingly, I think it'd be good for these articles to move on and get acquitted in the Senate as quick as possible. Because now the Democrats are, I mean, they're really coming towards the end of their congressional congressional picking, though, or picking the next Democratic nominee. Like, that that's coming up. They need to start throwing their weight into that if they want any hope of beating Donald Trump. And the more that impeachment takes up the airwaves and takes up the TV channels, the less these Democratic nominees get to take up those airwaves too and make their case not only to the Democratic voters which will be electing them, but make their case to the broader American public in which they still have to beat Trump in a general in a general election. And if you notice, by the last Democratic debate, impeachment, impeachment comes up a lot. It comes up a lot because it's taking over, right? It's completely taking over. Russia used to come up a lot. Now it's impeachment. So what do actual Americans think of these, of these issues? So if we look at the polls, according to 538, Dems support impeachment by 82%. No, no surprise there. Republicans support impeachment by 9%, and independents support impeachment by about 46%. Now, obviously, no surprise, completely split on party lines. But what's surprising is these numbers haven't changed. Like, if you look at, if you look at the graph, it basically goes across in a straight line. It doesn't really go up, and it doesn't really go down. People had already made up their minds before this even started. The minute impeachment came up, Republicans had already said, all right, this is a load of crap. And Democrats said, all right, we're going to impeach this guy. No, not much has changed. And independents kind of feel the same way. 
it's kind of fluctuated and stayed around this 46, 47, 45% chance for, which is, which is surprising. It means the, Demo- the American population already knows what's going to happen, right? You, you bought a ticket to a movie and you already know the end. You, you already know the end. It's already been spoiled to you. We, already, we know exactly what's going to happen. Which is why I think it's wise that Democrats get this through as, as quickly as possible so they can move on to something else. I, I believe that people don't really care that much about this anymore. We all know what's going to happen, and we don't really care. And these, and these polls seem to show it. But what's surprising is Trump is actually gaining in polls for the general election. So I believe that this is actually hurting the Democrats too. This could be a big problem for them. And I, I, would, not, I would not be pushing this stuff. Right, because I, I I do think this is completely political and not going to look good, and it's just going to give Trump more fodder to use when it comes to the general election, right? Because he hasn't started swinging hard, he hasn't started swinging hard at anyone yet, because there's still a bunch of Democratic presidential nominees, and they haven't decided. So moving on to our Democratic presidential nominees, a big debate happened last night, big debate, and they talk everything. They talk climate change and economics and impeachment and just everything under the sun. And there's a, a few standout performances that I wanted to cover. And for all the talk that I get all the time, you know, I, I, I constantly get this, you know, the science says, or you don't believe science, or you're not enlightened. My favorite is you're just not smart enough. Or, you're ignorant. You're ignorant's a big one. I've, I've had you're ignorant a lot. That's a, that's, a common, that's a common insult on Facebook. I need to stop going on. I need to stop engaging with people like that on Facebook. Yeah, I should probably stop that. <laughs> but I get the I get the the you're not you're not enlightened or this isn't science. So we're getting the reverse here, and this is one of my favorite quotes from the Democratic our most recent Democratic presidential uh, debate. And this is Warren uh, ignoring the science. So here she is on the econ- economists are wrong. Here she is, Senator Warren. I have a question for you. Every candidate on the stage has proposed tax increases on the wealthy. But you have especially ambitious plans that, apart from health care, would hike taxes an additional $8 trillion over the decade, the biggest tax increase in, since World War II. How do you answer top economists who say taxes of this magnitude would stifle growth and investment? Oh, they're just wrong. With a wealth tax, the idea of a two cent tax on the great fortunes in this country, $50 million and above. For two cents, what can we do? We can invest in the rest of America. We can provide universal child care, early childhood education for every baby in this country age zero to five. Trust the scientists. Trust the scientists on climate change, this random doctor on abortion. But those, those scientists, no, nah, I don't trust them. Nope, mm-mm. nope, they're wrong. Nope. Money, money is made up. Uh, it doesn't exist. Uh, not, even, not even sure if it's real. So, <laughs> you see, what's, what's funny about this is, one, she doesn't even answer the question. Because you can both have a tax that drains the economy and pay for all this stuff. And she just starts listing all the wonderful things that will happen when this occurs. So what exactly does she think are the wonderful things that are going to happen? Well, here's a list of all the things that Elizabeth Warren would like to pay for with her convenient 
2% wealth tax, which just makes sense, which seems to make sense. You know, you hear it on the surface. I think a lot of things that the left says immediately without doing any digging makes a ton of sense, right? 2%, 2 cents. I mean, come on. They're making 50 million or more. They can, they can afford, they can afford the 2 cents. They can afford the 2 cents. So what are all the things that she wants to pay for? 800 billion to our for our public schools, 50 billion for school infrastructure, 1.2 trillion to make public college tuition free and cancel a substantial amount of student debt, 70 billion for childcare, 100 billion for an opioid plan, 7 billion for a small business fund, and 20 billion on election security, not to mention all the wonderful things she wants to do with climate change. Money doesn't exist. It's not real. You know, the federal deficit just isn't a thing, right? We can just borrow as much money as we want in the world. You know, it's just going to get paid for rich, by rich people. And this actually isn't true. There's actually tons of studies that have come out and say that she's grossly overestimating how much money she thinks she's going to bring in with this 2% wealth tax, which is true. Because she, she's assuming a couple things. She's assuming that when she plans this 2% wealth tax, one, I think this the wealth tax is unconstitutional, but we can talk about that later. But that this 2% wealth tax is going to collect like $2.5, $2.7 trillion over a decade. She just, she assumes that over the decade, businesses aren't, business people and the wealthy aren't going to like adapt to this and just move around, move their money away. Like what is she, what is she thinking? And secondly, she's taxing money that hasn't been priced yet, which is so strange to me. Like, so if I, so the majority of Jeff Bezos' money is in stocks, right? But until he sells those stocks, there's no value on them. So what are you doing? You're going to have to build a gigantic bureaucracy of people to count the wealthy's money, which are tied up in assets and just so much stuff. So much stuff to try and get an accurate count of what they owe. I mean, the the manpower of the IRS is going to have to like double every. Well, really, just it's just going to have to double because they have to do this every single year. And this is expecting that the wealthy don't just move their money around, which they will do. So I find that just I find that just hilarious. Trust, trust the trust all the scientists that we tell you to, but not those. No, not those. Those ones run contradictory to our. To my viewpoint, uh, don't trust those scientists. Only the scientists that I tell you. So I think that that was that was pretty funny. But I really enjoyed that the most. But what most people are going to get out of the last Democratic national debate is the wine cave. Now you might be asking to yourself, what is a wine cave, Nate? Well, let me tell you. In America, we don't have a lot of wine cellars. It's really a wine cellar, right? So in Europe, there's tons of these cellar cellars that are very old. I went to a couple bars that were in wine cellars, and they're really cool. They are phenomenally cool. You have to go. And it's where you stored your wine. And it's almost like these big tunnels that you can go down into. And it's cool, and it's nice, and it's usually brick around the side. It's very nice, very cool. And in America, we don't have many. So Pete Buttigieg holds a campaign fundraiser in one of these wine caves, quote-unquote, and the Democratic nominees have some things to say about it. And here is Elizabeth Warren just ripping into Pete Buttigieg for this. The mayor just recently had a fundraiser that was held in a wine cave full of crystals and served $900 a bottle wine. Um, 
Think about who comes to that. He had promised that every fundraiser he would do would be open door, but this one was closed door. We made the decision many years ago that rich people in smoke-filled rooms would not pick the next president of the United States. Billionaires in wine caves should not pick the next president of the United States. Mr. Mayor, your okay. response. You know, according to Forbes magazine, I am the literally the only person on this stage who's not a millionaire or a billionaire. So if this is important, this is the problem with issuing purity tests you cannot yourself pass. If I pledge, if I pledge never to be in the company of a progressive Democratic donor, I couldn't be up here. Senator, your net worth is 100 times mine. Woo! Get him, Pete. Ah! Ah! That was good. Oh, God, I love that. You know what? Props to Pete Buttigieg for being prepared to just... Oh, God, that was good. Just elbow down on the table. Whew! Gave me goosebumps. I love that crap. And that he's got a point, man. I completely agree. He's got a point. One... I don't understand why money has to do with any of this. Um, saying that you have more of an opinion because you're poor is – I don't understand it because it's just like – I mean saying that you have more right to an opinion because you're rich is like the same thing. I don't see how, why wealth like, matters in this in this kind of stuff, but apparently to the Democrats it does. But he's right. It's a weird, it's a weird purity test that Elizabeth Warren is, is issuing to Pete Buttigieg given that she's worth so many millions of dollars. And I love how Pete Buttigieg in this clip, if you watch it online, you see, you know, he's kind of talking directly at Elizabeth Warren, and she's just like blank staring off into the distance. It reminds me sometimes when I, I am having like an argument with my with my mother, and it's not, it's not really going anywhere, you know, it's getting a little heated, and it, she's just blank stares off into the distance, because she's my, she's my mother, and mothers are always right, and that's that's basically how it works so it's just oh god it's just so it's just so hilarious that this has now become the democratic party where they just complain at each other as to who has more money and therefore doesn't have the the little mantle to the talking stick uh because you're rich you don't get the you don't get the talking stick that gets passed around these these debates, which I think is just ridiculous, but props on Pete Buttigieg for being fully prepared to slap Elizabeth Warren back to where she came from. So what a, what a, what a great, what a great one. What a, I love that. And I think that this is going to be kind of the downfall of Elizabeth Warren, you know? Um, this was obviously a great comeback from Pete Buttigieg. However, the wine cave is going to stick to him. It, it just will. Um, Americans and people in general, or just it's just much easier to cling on to that term and associate that with the person than uh, Pete Buttigieg's kind of rebuttal. So this hurts. I think it's going to hurt them both. You know, I think Warren is fading. You know, I I originally thought that she was going to be able to beat Biden. I don't think she will anymore. You know, ever since she kind of released her health care plan and all the crazy math she was going to have to do to try and pay for it all. I, I think that's I think that was it for her. And I think this is it for her. I bid a fond farewell to Elizabeth Warren. I still believe that Joe Biden's gonna get it. He had a strong debate last night. 
he just came as rock solid Joe. You know, I am option option 2.0 from Obama. So that's really his shtick, and it seems to be working. So I don't think Pete's not going to get that much much support. My boy Andrew Yang. I uh, hope he's hope he's doing well in the back of the pack. Um, and he's love him, love him, love Andrew Yang. Went to a Andrew Yang rally, got to hear him speak. Disagree with basically everything he has to say, but I think he's a quality dude, and he's obviously the most reasonable guy up there. Amy Klobuchar had a good night for herself. She really came out swinging, which is good. Uh, she suddenly, when we knock off the the two percenters that were taking up two percent of the vote, uh, Booker was not there, and Kamala Harris, and as well as Bernie Sanders. I think he had a I think he had a good a good night last night as well. It seemed pretty upbeat, kind of into it. So hopefully, hopefully they're doing, we'll see what happens next. Hopefully they're doing well. So moving away from politics and into some more social kind of cultural stuff. Big story out over this past week having to do with J.K. Rowling, you know, the, the famous author of Harry Potter, which is, is very left. And this, this matters, you know, I'm not just, I'm not just saying that, but she's, she's very on the, on the left, which is, which is perfectly fine. She's so much so on the left that. She basically implied that Dumbledore and Grindelwald are, could be gay. So, great. All right. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't really care. Wonderful. So, according to the New York Times, J.K. Rowling, the creator of Harry Potter series, was criticized by gay and transgender rights group on Thursday after she expressed support for a British researcher whose views on transgender people were described by a court as not worthy of respect in a democratic society. So, that had me interested. I wonder... I wonder what this what what this was. So here's her here's her tweet. Dress however you please, call yourself whatever you like, sleep with any consenting adult who will have you, live your best life in peace and security, but before out of their jobs for stating that sex is real, I stand with hashtag I stand with Maya, hashtag this is not a drill. Yeah, seems reasonable. You know, do it do whatever do whatever you please. Um, but just don't really force down your opinions on other people. You know what? That that sounds perfectly fine. So what is she referring to? And who is this Maya person? So the researcher, Maya Forstarter, lost her job last year at a thick tank, think tank in London and filed a lawsuit earlier this year alleging discrimination based on what she called her gender-critical views, which she has expressed often on Twitter. Among them is the belief which Ms. Forstarter tweeted on Wednesday that it is impossible to change sex. Yeah, sounds about right. You can't wave your magic wand, say Wingardio Leviosa, and suddenly you're a dude. Um, <laughs> and I know that's simple, but oh, what, is, what is that? What is that in your pants? Hermione? Ah, it's, it's just a wand. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> in an employment tribunal in London ruled against her, on Wednesday, saying her views were not a philosophical belief protected by British British law, but were instead incompatible with human dignity and fundamental rights of others. God, I hate when we just throw around the word rights like it like it means something. Well, all right, I, I should rephrase. We throw around rights as like the right to the right to not be insulted in this case. No, that's not a right. There's this there's this idea among people that the government gives you rights. Where I mean, perfectly, if we're if we're going to be honest, like I believe that you have rights. So like in the Constitution, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. I would include property into that. Those are rights that become before the government, and the government gets to protect those those rights. So 
I kind of came out of the Enlightenment and all that, all that wonderful stuff that we don't need to get into. But I think people use the word rights too loose. It just kind of means anything. And we see that here, that rights are just kind of meaning anything that they want them to mean, that you have a right to not be offended, essentially. And that's I think that that's absolutely ridiculous. And there is no way that a democracy can function on those rules. Like that, That's a great way to just have the government dictate whatever it wants. Right? If there is now suddenly a right for you not to be offended or misgendered, quote-unquote, then I guess the government should just pass out IDs that say, you are man, you are woman, and I need to go to a special government consulate, and they can change it for me. You know, they just issue me a new little ID, and the fact that I'm a man or that I'm a woman comes from the government itself, which, I mean, obviously I'm using this as a sarcastic example because I think that that's absolutely ridiculous. And so this tribunal, which sounds like something out of the Sith Empire, it is also says it is also a sleight of hand to suggest that the claimant merely does not hold the belief that trans women are women. And here we go. So they're just going to start assuming more stuff. It's just it's it's frustrating because this is obviously not what we want in a democratic society. If anything, we want more information, all the information out there to disprove all the bad stuff. But not this notion that that just by stating biological fact is now oppressive and against other people's rights. Other people's rights. You know, because the government gets to determine those rights. Which, I mean, again, is ridiculous. If we're going to start doing this, then where where does it end? Like, where where does it stop? Obviously, the government has made laws specifically for referring to Jim Crow slavery that were bad, that were terrible, and that violated people's rights. That came before the government. Not this, the government just gets to decide whatever rights it thinks are necessary. And that's obviously what we have here. But the larger point is, for me, the left obviously eats its own, which I, I just I find so interesting to watch because it's so common. I see it in almost every kind of more leftist, progressive, even communist society, they'll eat their own. Suddenly, like, in, so take Russia, suddenly Lenin isn't extreme enough for Stalin. I mean, that's, and it's really what happens. It's really what happens. Like, Lenin was dying on his deathbed and didn't like Stalin at all because he saw Stalin was a terrible dude. And I actually think I, this is kind of relevant because this past week was Stalin's birthday. And I follow a lot of, communist kind of like facebook groups just because i like i like to see what they post um and just just how out there it seems to be and how much jargon they can put into a sentence which is fun to watch but they're all celebrating stalin's birthday we're just going to disregard the fact that he killed like 22 million people and it's fine it's just a number (laughs) he was doing communist work great wonderful Lenin was not extreme enough for stalin and that's just that's just what we see every single time Every single time. And we see that with J.K. Rowling here. We see that with Obama, to be perfectly honest. The left has moved past Obama. Uh, a lot of Republicans at the time really thought that he was pretty radical and out there. And now, like, my God, take me back. Take me back, country roads. Like, let's go back there. Ellen DeGeneres, if you remember her sitting with George W. Bush. During, I think, it was, was it a football game or a baseball game? I can't, I can't quite remember. But she got all sorts of flack for just sitting next to a Republican previous president and saying, like, nice words about him. What, oh, my God. 
I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. Like slowly, the party moves further and further left, and this is actually something you don't see on the Republican side, which I just I find this so interesting because it's like a battle of ideologies. Like who is more woke? Who has the more woke position? And since you have the more woke position, you now have the authority to speak. That you can just get outwoked, essentially. Which is oh my god, it it's it was fun to watch, but also quite dangerous. So moving on to that, we're gonna move on to our do's and don'ts for the day. Ooh, do's and don'ts for the week, really. So pretty excited about this. So do not ask Alexa to change the subject. Yes, this is the thing. You know, if you're having debates with your in-laws or your relatives are in town and, you know, you you sit down and you, you're having family dinner and your uncle pipes up and says, I think life begins at conception and the table goes silent. I do not turn and say, Alexa, change the subject. This is a thing. So Amazon Alexa might just come in handy during arguments this holiday season. In anticipation of heated conversations between family members on Christmas, the online retailer announced a feature that allows the virtual assistant to change the subject of the conversation. According to Amazon, a survey conducted by a team of researchers found that on Christmas Day, 6.30 p.m. specifically on Christmas Day, is a time that family arguments are the most likely to begin. This is in the, in the United Kingdom. And in the event, that this family fiasco turns ugly, you can say, Alexa, change the subject. And in order to diffuse the conversation, what will Alexa ask? So let's let's have a few let's have a few examples. We'll do the one I have. I believe that that <laughs> life begins at conception. Table goes silent. Alexa, change the subject. What's your favorite animal and why? Like uh, <laughs> Oh my god, that would just take the air out of the room. I believe that we should build a border wall. Is Die Hard really a Christmas movie? <laughs> oh, if you if you can't get along with your in in laws, like you have that much of a problem, maybe you should like set some ground rules or learn how to talk as human beings, or maybe just make the rules and like don't talk about politics. You know, don't talk about money. Money's a big one. Money, money can also be a big one. God, that is that is so that is so funny. I believe that communism is the is the best system to ensure a prosperous society. Alexa. Do you have a celebrity crush? Uh, oh, God. That is that is so... Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, that's good. All right, I really don't... I think that it's just so funny, but please don't don't actually do that. Have an actual conversation with your in-laws. Um, you know, strike up some common bonds. Maybe there's some things that you shouldn't talk about. Um, your in-laws, come on, it's Christmas. Be happy. Don't ask Alaska, Alexa to do the conversation for you. So some other do's, uh, have kids. Yeah, that's a, that's a big do. And you know, it's weird that I have to say that you might be thinking to yourself, well, Nate, like, why do you have to say have kids? Like that's, isn't that kind of like what we do? Well, according to the CDC, the number of babies born in the U S in 2018 fell to the lowest level in 32 years. According to a government report on Wednesday, the lowest level in 32 years. And that follows a trend. Like this isn't just us. This is happening all over the world to the point that economists, uh, in Japan, well, I don't think it's economists. I'm not sure the type of degree that would do this. In Japan, have predicted that Japan, continuing on its low birth rates, will be extinct in like I think it's like a thousand years or something. So a, a, a long time, but it will go extinct, which is crazy to think about. So according to NBC, the major finding is that the fertility rates are reaching records lows. And the report lead author, Bradley Hamil Hamilton, a statistician and demographer at CDC's National Center for Health Sciences, says 
there have been record lows in teenage birth, which fell 7% compared to 2017, which is actually good, right? I actually think that's good. We should have lower birth rates among teenagers. Yeah, I, I think one of the leading things holding back from, or not holding people back, but putting people into poverty is actually having kids before you're know, like 20, 21, 22. I think that's a big problem. So the fact that we're declining in teenage birth rates is not a bad thing. But, but we keep declining when you get older, and that's a problem. Hamilton and his colleagues found that the total number of births in 2018 is down 2% from 2017, which is, which is a lot. And he shows even further that the general fertility rate from 2018 was at about 59 births per 1,000 women, aged 15 to 44, another record low for the United States, which is, I mean, that's wild. Like, we are, we are slowly coming down. And a lot of this could be due to contraceptives, birth control have been mild, widely available to women which I don't see a lot of problems with. Um, but I think there's I think there's something much more deep about this. So I kind of wanted to touch on, you know, my generation. I actually wrote an article about this this week, and it was all about the fact that our generation is, my Generation Z is actually having less sex and that it's not all good. So here's, here's what I want to clarify. Here's what I want to clarify. If you don't, if you want to refrain from sex until marriage, that's great. Like you have the right reasons to be doing that. That makes totally sense. But it's, but I've, what I found so interesting is that we have been encouraging more sex since the sexual rev revolution, which kind of started in the 1920s with the flappers and jazz and swing, and then really picked up steam in the 1960s with this whole me era movement. And that falls along with a lot of stuff. The 1960s were a crescendo for a lot of things. So we start encouraging sex so much to the point where universities have classes or little study groups on like sex toys. Um, and we were encouraging this stuff, exploration in college, but we're actually finding that that's not happening. The kids are actually having less sex than their parents were and less sex than even well, generation Z is having less sex than being set up to have less sex than Millennials, that there are now more virgins in my generation, millennial generation, than their parents' generation, which is just, it's, it's strange. So I was like, well, are all these kids suddenly now becoming abstinent? Like they're all, they're all saying, you know what's a good idea? Let's not have sex until marriage. It was a great idea. Wonderful idea. We should do that. Wonderful idea. But is that really what they're doing? Like they're all thinking that? And I, so I start to do some, do some poking around and I start to see articles, some by the New York Times and others, and some are just saying that it's all crap, like this isn't true. And others are saying, well, it's a good thing, right? We should be learning from our kids. We should be learning from these kids. These kids are actually doing the smart thing by hooking up before the first date and like, and just doing all these unhealthy things. We should learn from them. They're the smart ones. They are the smart ones. They're not. They're not. What what's actually happening is we've been we've been encouraged to have sex so much. And I think another huge factor of social media that what's actually happening is we're encouraging, I think this is especially true with young adult men, to not go out and meet anyone. Usually, usually in the past, when you wanted to meet someone, you just did it. Like, there was no cell phone to distract you from. There was no Call of Duty land match that you had to get home to to play with your friends. There was nothing. 
there was work. At the end of the week, you get to go out and you just you put one foot in front of the other and you went and talked to someone. And I believe that we're actually slowly losing those communication skills, especially among young adult men. Young adult men, I think, are really hurting from this. And and I would like to say, and, and women, women are hurting from this too, because the more, the more we actually encourage like free sex and have as much sex as possible, it actually studies have found that it's damaging the emotional states of many women. That, it, that it's not damaging for men because men have kind of been put on this earth to. Have sex with anything as possible. Like, I don't think that's a controversial statement. That's what they. That's what they. We've been around to do. And women are the choosers. They are the choosers that hold that in check, which I think is wonderful. They really. We really do complement each other. So we're having we're having issues, I believe, in actually communicating with each other, and encouraging men and encouraging men and women. I think women play a big part of it too, because it used to be that. I mean, it, it used to be that women would make signs to men to have them come talk to them. And a lot of the times there were these signs, like take the, the dropping of the classic dropping of the handkerchief, right? It used to be that a woman, if she found a man attractive, she'd go drop a handkerchief. And the guy would be like, oh, what is this? Oh, there's a handkerchief. Uh, what should I do with it? Oh, I should probably return it back to this lady. And so he picks it up and he gives it back to her. And little, little does he know that she did that completely on purpose. And this was whole the whole part of the plan for ha- for her to have him come talk to her, but the guy doesn't even know. He thinks it was his idea, right? No, I I am being the noble man and going to give this lady back her handkerchief. How wonderful am I? And the woman and the woman was like, "Hi, yeah, I I knew you were going to do that. Hi, my name is Karen or whatever your name is." <laughs> so I think that has stopped because now you go out and almost every girl that I talk to is like, "Well, if he if he isn't going to come talk to me, then he's not a man that I want." Well, come on now, like he, you. You're only going to meet, in my opinion, like players. You're only going to meet the player, the guy that is going around to like a hundred women. No, not a hundred. More like 20 and just playing the entire field. Might He might get 19 no's and one yes. That's a successful night for him. You're only going to meet those people. You're only going to meet those people. So I think it's very telling and I think it's really interesting as to the real reasons as to why we're actually having less sex. So moving on from that, you can always go check out that article. I will put that link, maybe try and put that link in the description below. You can check that one out. We have another one coming out on Wednesday. Last due for the day, um, do learn how to take a joke. Y- yeah, I, it's weird that I have to say that. The Vice Admiral Sean Buckley of the Naval Academy, is their superintendent, said in his statement, We are confident the hand gestures used were not intended to be racist in any way. If you're not, if you're not familiar with what I'm referring to, so during the Army-Navy game, a couple guys put the, played the little OK hand game. And so it's the OK symbol, and you put it below your waist. And if someone sees it, they get to punch you, right? And there's a bunch of these rules of these games that are like if you put it below your waist and the guy is able to break the circle, then he gets to punch you and just all this stuff. Well, this has been adopted by users over at 4chan and 8chan, pretty much racist white supremacy supremacy groups, to mean white power. It's essentially right. You make the, you make the OK symbol. You see that the P with the circle and the power is the – the three fingers you hold up and kind of the W, white power. And really, they use this to, to troll people. 
is what this is. But and it works. Like this has become quite the troll because people have done this and the left has gone nuts. So there's this whole thing coming around that the Naval Academy was harboring these secret white racists. Ooh, these secret white supremacists that were just hiding in the bushes at the at the United States Naval Academy and at West Point. Which is, oh my god, learn how to take a joke. I went to, I worked at a summer camp, what was that, two summers, a summer or two ago, and they played the, they played the same game. Like, 13-year-old kids played this game, the camp counselors did, their superintendent did. And nowhere was I like, ah, you know, that guy, he runs the camp, he's playing this game, you know what he must be. A white supremacist. These 13-year-olds, they got to stop this or they're going to become white supremacists. It's just ridiculous. Please, please learn how to take a joke and realize when you're being trolled. Yeah, realize that. Realize when you're being trolled and when people are just doing it to get a rise out of you, which it seems to work, so they're going to continue to do it, and I'm going to have to continue getting up here and asking you and others to, to just take a, learn how to take a joke. And have a good time while doing it. It's just a game. It has been played for decades. I was going over it with my father who went to the United States Naval Academy. And he even says he remembers doing it all the time. And he's not a white supremacist. Like, oh, God. Whatever. I'm done. I'm done talking about that. Oh, that makes me it makes me sad that we can't, we can't even take jokes anymore. So now to move on to the last thing before we wrap everything up. My sponsor for this entire week. Our sponsor for this entire week will have to be Amazon because I just got in our new kind of studio that I am actually about to get off the mic here and start setting up. I have to iron like a 20 by 10 white sheet of cotton. Oh, that's going to take forever. So hopefully we've been kind of lax with the videos lately just because I've been setting all this up and hopefully we'll have some new content out there. Look for our videos on our YouTube channel. I'll remember to post that to our Facebook as well as another article hopefully coming up tomorrow on Monday. So that'll be, that'll be great. As always, have a great day and I will see you back here next week.